This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. What I have for you today is something from Cardinal Gerhard Mueller. There's a big debate going on in Germany about the nature of the priesthood, and here Cardinal Mueller will be defending a Catholic position on the priesthood versus a hyper-modernist version of the priesthood that attempts to secularize it beyond comprehension. I'll let Father, or Cardinal Mueller here do the talking. Um, again, you're getting into theology here, and while most of it's pretty accessible, I mean, this was published in a German newspaper, right? But So while most of it's accessible, it's still getting into theology. So bear with us here. With his thesis that the Catholic priesthood, more precisely, the tripartite sacrament of orders, bishop, presbyter, deacon, cannot be justified in the New Testament, Professor Martin Ebner has recently stirred up a lot of dust. On the one hand, he troubles outdated theories, the so-called early Catholicism, on the dogmatic development of the sacrament of holy orders, from its Christological orders and apostolic beginnings, to the present, especially in the summary account of the sacramentality of the Church. Vatican II described in detail the interrelationship of the common priesthood of all the faithful and the priestly ministry of the pastors of the Church instituted by Christ. See Lumen Gentium, paragraph 10. However, historical critical exegesis, to which Ebner refers as the highest authority, is only able to relativize, deconstruct, the New Testament and the history of the early church as mere thought constructions of their contemporaries if it remains epistemologically at the level of 18th century rationalism and naturalism. From this hermeneutical position already, the mere possibility of historical self-revelation of God and his word and spirit had to be denied. The Articles of Faith, especially concerning the Sacrament of Holy Orders, would consequently not be God's self-revelation in the confession of the Church, but nothing more than changing time, conditioned states of the pious consciousness of individual Christians in a plural collective subject. If the Church traditionally also calls itself the people of God, the body of Christ, and the temple of the Holy Spirit, see Lumen Gentium, paragraph 4, it is in reality nothing more than a natural community with Christian ideals and the goal of world improvement. In reality, on the other hand, the Holy Scriptures and the great documents of the apostolic tradition are adequately understood by those who read them in the same spirit in which their authors understood them, namely as God's worth in the mouth of man, see 1 Thessalonians, and as their faithful, diachronic, and synchronic reproduction in the witness of the Church under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. However, those who see Jesus' mission from the Father, the Incarnation, Jesus' sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sins, and for the foundation of the new covenant in my blood which is shed for you, see Luke chapter 22, and finally his resurrection from the dead and the effective presence of Christ in his church until the end of the world, see Matthew chapter 28, as facts of salvation history, or allows them only as poetic metaphors or prosaic interpretations for a moral or social revolutionary meaning of the historical figure of Jesus of Nazareth, he also cannot admit that the Church as a whole, under the guidance of the magisterium of the Pope and the bishops, is infallible in the knowledge of revelation, and its historical mediation and unfolding, and that its sacraments effectively mediate the salvation they represent. Already Ignatius of Antioch, at the beginning of the second century, had answered the insistence of the Bible positivists with the question, where does it say that, with reference to the realism of salvation, thus also pointing out the real inspiration of the Holy Scriptures. 
Christian faith is not based on a historicist or literary reconstruction of an image of Jesus, but on the encounter with the real Christ in the living witness of the apostles and the church. For me, the documents are Jesus Christ. The sacred documents are his cross, death, resurrection, and the faith founded thereby. See St. Ignatius of Antioch's letter to the Philadelphians. With the anti-clerical effect that Ebner triggers and intensifies in theological ignoramuses, he clouds the already clouded view of the German synods for the truth of the Catholic faith in its Christological ground and in its coherent doctrinal development guided by the Holy Spirit, as Vatican II succinctly presented it in the dogmatic constitution of Revelation, see De Verbum, for the conclusion for the quote-unquote synodal way, which presumed to pass on the necessity of the tripartite sacrament of the holy orders, do we still need priests at all, is most welcome to its protagonists. For the much longed-for good news is convincing only because one wants to hear it. If the sacramental priesthood does not go back to Christ, then its previous powers and income can be distributed like booty among the laity. For the first time as a technical term, see Clement's letter, chapter 40, verse 5. From whom had been snatched by money-grubbing false priests at the beginning of the 3rd century? The effective term, the laity, which alludes to them as victims of a clerical system of oppression and spiritual misuse, does not, of course, refer to the baptized, for whom the apostles and their successors are appointed by Christ as their caring shepherds, careful teachers, and priestly ministers of the gospel. See Romans chapter 15. But instead, as a cast of functionaries who want to become beneficiaries of the quote-unquote church system, in whose essence as the sacrament of the salvation of the world in Jesus Christ they have long since ceased to believe. Then we have arrived again at the level of spiteful and foolish criticism of Christianity, as Baron de Holbach had thrown it among the half-educated public of the Enlightenment in 1767 with his pamphlet on Unveiled Christianity, which was only built on priestly fraud and superstition. For Jesus had sharply criticized the Old Testament priests and Levites and had abolished the temple cult in general, while at the beginning of the 3rd century the simple, honorary church leaders suddenly called themselves priests only because they claimed the tithe for themselves out of greed for power and money according to the Mosaic law, and acted as mediators between God and man, although every Christian is due to the general priesthood directed directly to God responsible. In Enlightenment terms, he should use his reason, and for reasons of moral autonomy, must refrain from any religious or moral paternalism on the part of a priestly caste. The rejection of the sacrament of holy orders has a theological root in Luther's assertion that the, quote, sacrament of holy orders is an invention of the Church of the Pope, that is, of the Antichrist. See Martin Luther's work on Babylon. This is connected with his rejection of the Holy Mass as a sacramental realization of the sacrifice of the cross, because the mediation of salvation takes place solely in subjective faith as inward trust in Jesus, and not by means of the objective effectiveness of ecclesiastical sacramental mediation of salvation. Professor Ebner also sees in the Holy Mass an additional sacrifice that the priests offer, for money, in order to achieve reconciliation with God, which he says has already taken place through Jesus, and of which we prove ourselves worthy through acts of charity. How such a trivial and at the same time outrageous misunderstanding of the Church's teaching on the Mass and the service of the bishops and priests in their mission to teach, guide, and sanctify the people of God in the name of the authority of Christ. See Lumen Gentium, paragraphs 20-28. Is still possible after 500 years of controversial theology and 100 years of ecumenical reproachment, especially after Vatican II, is beyond anyone's, even the most benevolent, understanding. Luther had already overlooked the analogy in the concept of priest, which led him to deny the sacramental priesthood in favor of a so-called general priesthood. 
Christianly relevant to the factual determination of priest is the designation of Jesus as mediator and high priest of the new covenant in the letter to the Hebrews, which portrays Jesus as the redeemer and savior of the world, or as the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. Christ's high priesthood is eschatologically and universally salvific because it is carried out by him as man, but who, by virtue of his sonship from the Father, is with him in the Holy Spirit, the one and only true God. This high priest is the Son of God and our Lord. This exalted shepherd of the sheep, God brought forth from the dead by the blood of an everlasting covenant. See the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13. The risen Lord appoints Peter as the shepherd of his sheep and lambs, for whom Christ himself laid down his life as the good shepherd, so that Peter, as his representative, vicarious Christi, for the universal church and the apostles, might lead them to the good pasture of the word grace. In the first letter of Peter, the term priestly is applied to the church as a whole, which offers spiritual sacrifices through Christ and witnesses to the great acts of God by work and word. This includes the apostle referring to the presbyters as their fellow presbyters, who, as shepherds of the church, feed the sheep in the name of the chief shepherd, namely Christ the shepherd and bishop of your souls, as the apostle instructs the faithful. Of course, the bishops and presbyters, in their priestly sanctifying service in the liturgy and pastoral ministry, are not mediators alongside and after Christ, the only mediator between God and men, by virtue of the inexistence of his human nature in the divine person of the Son, to whom it serves as a medium and instrument. Therefore, Christ alone is the perfect mediator between God and men, inasmuch as he by his death reconciled the human race to God. But this in no way prevents others, priests, prophets, kings, saints, from being called mediators, insofar as they contribute in a pioneering and ministering way to the union of men with God. The priests of the new covenant may be called mediators inasmuch as they are ministers of the true mediator, dispensing the, the mysteries of salvation to men in his stead. See Thomas Aquinas' Summa Theologica, Part 3. The crucial flaw in Ebner's exposition of the alleged lack of biblical justification for the sacrament of holy orders is the confusion surrounding the term priest. The term is not defined, not even recognized in its variance of meaning. The complex and complicated history of the term is ignored at all. Thus, with regard to the etymological and factual description of this terminus technicus, there is a serious category error which gives the whole execution something demagogic and gimmicky. The uninitiated reader has an aha experience, but the poor fool is not wiser than before. Downright abstruse is the professor's assertion that, quote, the positive effect which God has brought about precisely through the death of Jesus, quote, consists precisely that in the fact that the priestly sacrificial rites in the temple, which were reserved for the high priest, the priests, and the Levites, have passed into the hands of the baptized. As if the temple priesthood had not been abolished with the unique redemptory priesthood of Christ, according to the order of Melchizedek, and not that of Aaron. See the letter to the Hebrews, chapters 5 to 10. It is clear that one cannot equivocate with the German term priester, which, despite fundamental differences in meaning, can designate the pagan cultus servants as well as the Old Testament temple officials, the high priesthood of Christ as a synonym for his redeeming activity, and universal mediation of salvation, as well as stand for the priestly church in its relation to the peoples. In this sense, Vatican II described the church as the sacrament of the salvation of the world in Christ. Our German word priester, priest, comes from the Greek presbyteros, the one who has precedence in years or status, which can still be heard in the Romance languages instead of priest sacerdotos, as prezere for the Catholic clergy. The development of ecclesiastical terminology, with the precise distinction of a college of many presbyters with the one bishop as the principle of their unity and the deacons at his side, who form the clergy of a local church, a diocese, 
the real foundation of the sacrament of orders in the apostolate to the twelve and the original church apostles and prophets and its development of the spread of the church in space and time with the establishment of local churches must be distinguished jesus called men from among his disciples to whom he gave authority to proclaim the kingdom of god to whom after his resurrection he gave spiritual authority to baptize to confirm and to forgive sins and whom he commissioned to make sacramentally present the whole salvific reality of his sacrificial death and resurrection from the dead in remembrance of him so that believers are united to him as members are to their body and head the essence of the sacrament of holy orders consists in the participation of the apostles and their successors in the tripartite ministry in the authority and mission of jesus see lumen gentium 28 who as the risen lord said to them as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Whoever sins you remit, they are remitted unto them. See John chapter 20. From this comes the recognition of apostolic succession, which at the time of the writing of John's Gospel was also witnessed in Rome in an important letter written by the Roman Church to the Church of Pauline's coinage at Corinth. Since Jesus did not found the church like a religious association with elaborated statutes, one cannot expect even in the New Testament as a collection of primordial testimonies of faith, namely the teachings of the apostles, that all questions will be answered immediately in a scholastic way as in later manuals of classical sacramental doctrine. While the New Testament does not specifically speak of the apostles and the bishops' presbyters as the bearers of the power of consecration in the Eucharist, neither does it in any way attribute it to the laity, or indeterminately, to the whole congregation. In the church, freedom as a constituent of the person in nature, in grace, plays a decisive role which is also an analogy to modern democracy. At the beginning of the second century, Ignatius, as a faithful witness to the original apostolic tradition of his episcopal city of Antioch, says, quote, All of you follow the bishop as Jesus Christ. Let that Eucharist which takes place under the bishop be considered reliable. Where the bishop appears, let the church be, as where Christ Jesus is, the Catholic Church is. See St. Ignatius of Antioch's letter to the Smyrnians, paragraph 8. But democracy, insofar as the people are the sovereign of the state, cannot be applied to the church without making it, contrary to its supernatural origin and nature, a purely human entity, political association, economic enterprise, or social aid organization, or the like. Their sovereign is God himself, who by no means rules his people, as politicians and businessmen rule their clientele, but liberates them to freedom. But the authority to teach, guide, and sanctify his people by word through grace can only be conferred by himself. Jesus, to whom all authority is given in heaven and on earth, gave authority to his chosen apostles to overcome evil and evil, to alleviate and heal suffering, to teach and baptize. The apostles and consequently the bishops are not mandate holders chosen for a time, but ministers of Christ and stewards of his mystery. But since the bishops and presbyters are by the laying on of hands in prayer, that is sacramentally, appointed by the apostles and their closest associates as overseers, shepherds and teachers of the church to whom the faithful are to submit therefore like the apostles they exercise the ministry of reconciliation they are messengers in christ's stead and it is god who effectively awards his word through them so that his grace in baptism confirmation eucharist penance is effected not by them but by god himself in the traditio apostolica circa ad 220 which represents the theological and liturgical tradition of the two apostolic churches of Rome and Alexandria, the bishop is called high priest, not in continuation 
of the Hebrew high priests of the temple, and certainly not in connection with the priests of the pagan gods, but to show that the sanctification of the faithful and divine liturgy is caused by Christ, the only high priest and mediator of the new and eternal covenant alone. But who feeds his flock through the ordained bishops and presbyters? Therefore they offer the gifts of the Holy Church and make present the sacrifice of Christ on the cross with all its graces in the life of his disciples. The bishop must be regarded by the faithful as the Lord. For to them, as to the apostles, Jesus' words apply. He who hears you, hears me, and he who rejects you, rejects me. But he who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. Vatican II sums up, quote, The bishops then have assumed the ministry of communion together with their assistants, the presbyters and the deacons. In God's stead, they preside over the flock of which they are shepherds, as teachers in instruction, as priests in sacred worship, as ministers in governance. See Lumen Gentium, paragraph 20. In the bishop, one sees the high priest of his flock, on whom the life of the faithful in Christ proceeds and depends, as it were. See Sacrosanctum Concilium, paragraph 41. Under the pre-Christian system, sacrifices were made to appease the gods or to solicit gifts. In the Old Testament faith, there were sacrifices of praise and thanksgiving, but also the sacrifices of petition and propitiation by the priests, in order to turn the grace of the covenant to the sinners. For man in the horizon of the biblical revelation of God can never act upon God, who is by no means dialectically linked to the world, but can only open himself freely to his grace of forgiveness through repentance and conversion and the obedience of faith. In the new covenant, Christ in his person is our reconciliation with God, our righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. It is celebrated by the whole church, head and body, with the ordained priest, the bishop-presbyter, representing Christ as head, and the faithful representing Christ and the members of his body. Concerning the nature of the sacramental priesthood and the differentiation of the Episcopal and Presbyterial offices, which were initially intertwined as the Church moved into the post-apostolic period, Vatican II states, quote, Since the office of presbyter is joined with the Episcopate, it participates in the authority by which Christ himself builds up, sanctifies, and directs his body. Therefore, the priesthood of presbyters, while presupposing the basic Christian sacraments, is conferred by a sacrament of its own. This marks the presbyters with a special imprint by the anointing of the Holy Spirit, and in this way conforms them to the priesthood of Christ, so that they may act in the person of Christ the head. See Presbyterium Ordinis, paragraph 2. Thus, even if the moral imperative for the congregation to provide for the ministers has occasionally been underscored by reference to the tithe in the Old Testament, this in no way justifies Ebner's hair-raising attempt to make this connection between the office and the tithe, i.e. the church tax in Germany, the cause of the reintroduction of a cultus sacrificial priesthood in the Old Testament, or even pagan sense, which runs counter to the Spirit of Christ. Certainly the formation of an explicit doctrine of faith and theology of this sacrament of consecration is not easy to reconstruct in detail, given the literary character of the historical sources in the first two centuries as occasional writings. But there is not a single evidence of a radical break with the teaching of Jesus and his mission from the Father for the salvation of the world. The impression of an apostasy of the church from its very essence arises rather from the mistaken hermeneutics of its biblical source and its expression in the ecclesiastical consciousness of faith, and from the blatant misinterpretation of its basic concepts, sacrifice of the cross and the mass, Christ as priest and mediator, or the bishops and presbyters as mediators and priests in his authority, and in general from the failure of the sacramentality of the church as a basic category. The starting point of the pseudo-revolutionary theses was the homemade or ideological intended lack of priestly vocations in Germany or other countries, which themselves puts the greatest obstacles in the way of new evangelization. If already the original will of Jesus is to be the measure for the church of all times, then we should also remember his words, 
which he spoke before choosing, calling and empowering twelve disciples as his apostles, and which are still valid in the church today. When Jesus saw the many people, he had compassion on them, because they were weary and exhausted like sheep that have no shepherd. Then he said to the disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers for his harvest. See Matthew chapter 36 to 38. And that was Cardinal Gerhard Mueller's takedown of a attack on the priesthood by a theologian in Germany who was trying to use the German Sonata way as an excuse to do some of the more radical things we've seen suggested at the German Synod. It has been suggested in the German Synod to essentially abolish the priesthood and put everything in the hands of the laity. Sometimes people wonder why we say they're at least in schism, if not outright apostates. Curious what you thought of this, though, so let me know what you think in the comments, please. Yes, this was dense, I understand. But uh, like and subscribe if you haven't, it really does help. Share this on social media if you think people will find it useful. And as always, pray for the church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.